These deceivers had come in, and ultimately, this is what John was talking about when he began to write. And we'll see this as we go down through the text. But the purpose of John's writing was to write about some deceiving people that had come in to the midst. I, as a child, and I won't tell you as an adult, but I, as a child, was a great deceiver. I was a good liar. I found out when I was young that if I could make myself believe something, then I could make anybody believe it. Or if I can convince myself that what I was saying was, was plausible, then I could make anybody believe it. Um, that all came crashing down one day when I, in anger, punched a hole in the wall. I was apparently a really messed up kid, but I did. I punched a hole in the wall because I was mad at my brother, and you know it wasn't like a fist punch. I was just I threw something at the wall. I wasn't that strong either. But what I did in order to deceive my parents is I took a platter, a plaque of the Ten Commandments, and I put the plaque right over the hole in the wall. <laughs> I thought, well, if anything is going to cover up this sin that I have made, I'll cover it up with the wall itself. I wasn't that smart as a child, but um, real quickly, my parents found out pretty quickly, and um, I paid the consequences pretty quickly. But the whole point of me saying that was that deception is something that we all face. No matter where we turn, we can have the tendency to be deceived. And that's exactly what was happening in the text that we come to this morning. There was a tendency that these people could be deceived. And John wanted to clarify that even though he is writing to explain these things, he wants them to be aware that they are not deceived. In the previous sections of John, we understand that John is giving assurance to his readers. He assures them that their sins are forgiven in chapter 1. He assures them that they have overcome the world in chapter 2. He assures them that they truly know God. And he even explains to them that they ought to abide in the love of God rather than things that are diametrically opposed to the love of God. Self-centeredness, fleshly bents, the things that we are pulled to naturally, that's the love of the world. The things that we are geared towards, that self-righteous mindset John says, don't do those things. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Rather, we are to love God. But as we come to the text this morning, we see John giving us steps that we can take specifically to the church here, but us by implication to guard themselves and to guard ourselves from being deceived. If you do take notes this morning... Verse 18 and verse 26, he tells them that they can guard themselves from deception by, first of all, understanding the time in which they lived. Verse 19 and verse 22 through 23, he says that they can guard themselves from deception by identifying those who are deceiving. Verse 20, 21, and 27, they can take steps to guard themselves by reminding themselves of what they had heard. And lastly, in verse 24 and 25, he tells them that they can safeguard themselves from deception 
by remaining in the gospel that they had been taught. So let's, this morning, read the text, and then we will begin to see what John has said to his readers. In verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know this is the last time. They went out from among us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning those who seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received from him abideth in you. And ye have no need that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth and no lie. And even as it hath taught ye, you, ye shall abide in him. And this is the reading of Scripture for this morning. So John explains to us in this set of Scripture that the first way that they could protect themselves from being deceived, and again, by implication that we can protect ourselves from being deceived, is to understand the time in which they lived. And we see this specifically in verse 18, and then again in verse number 26. In verse 18, John says, Little children, it is the last time. He tells them that they can know that deceivers are coming because they can know what time it is. And what time does he say it is? It is the last time. So a question that obviously is going to come to our minds is, when is the last time? If you grew up in any way, shape, or form like I did, you have heard your entire life that we are living in the last days. And this is true. But not because I say it, and not because the news looks bad. It's true because the scriptures say this is the last times. And not just today, but for the past 2,000 years, we have been living in the last days. Right. Acts chapter 2, Peter said the last days were the days between Christ's ascension into glory and his return to glory. So when Christ ascends to glory till he returns in glory, we are living in the last times. 
Hebrews chapter number two says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. He said God has spoken previously in many different ways and in many different times, but now he speaks through his son in these last days. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. He's identifying to him the way that these last days will look. And John tells us specifically here that these last days will be marked by deception. From the time that Christ ascended until the time that he returns, this time can be identified by the work of preventing the proclamation of the gospel. That's what he says there again in verse number 18. He says, whereby we know this is the last time. He says, we know that this is the last time because of things that are happening. In the Old Testament, in the former times, before the ascension of Christ, we can see the narratives of Scripture marked by the evil one working to prevent the fulfillment of the promise of God. All throughout the Old Testament, you read the working of Satan being to try and stop the promise of God from happening. That promise that a seed would be born and he would crush the head of the serpent. There was an attempt to stop this. We see this culminated even in the ministry of Christ where Satan comes to tempt Christ. And after he tempts Christ and Christ rejects that temptation three different times, it says that the devil left him until he could find a more appropriate season. And he did find that. And he entered into Judas. And Judas rejected Christ. And Satan thought that he had accomplished the means of preventing the fulfillment of the promise. Although in the book of Acts, we're told that that means of preventing the fulfillment of the promise was actually the fulfillment of the promise itself. So because the promise has been fulfilled... We can't prevent the promise from happening. Correct? If it's already happened, we can't stop it from happening. No one can stop it from happening. It's already accomplished. So the last days are not marked by a prevention of the fulfillment of the promise, but we will see that these last times are marked by the evil one working to prevent the proclamation of the promise. And that's what we see happening from Christ's ascension and even in our day. What John is writing to them specifically is that there were people who were preventing the proclamation of the promise accomplished. The fulfillment that had happened, they were trying to prevent the proclamation of it. They were muddying the waters, if you will. So this time that John identifies here is marked by the prevention of proclaiming the promise. But the method that we see in this is deception. And this is exactly what John writes. In verse number 26, he says, This is the reason that he is writing. These things have I written unto you concerning those who seduce you. He said, There are people who are coming to deceive you, and that is the reason that I'm writing this. I want you to be assured in everything. I want you to be confident that what I have told you is true. But the reason that I'm having to do this, and we'll see as we go through the scripture, isn't because you don't know that they're true, but because there are people who are coming in to tell you that they're not true. So he says that this method 
that we see played out in these last times is a method of deception. And this morning, that's the same method that the evil one uses today. He is deceiving us about the promise itself. In verse 18, and I'm not going to dive into all of this this morning, but in verse 18, he says that this method of deception is happening through a group of people that he identifies as antichrists. He says, and you have heard that antichrist shall come. Even now are there many antichrists whereby we know it is the last time. He said there are many of these people, these antichrists coming to deceive you. Even in our confession, if you were to look at chapter number 26 in section 4, you would see that the writers of the confession called the Pope the Antichrist. And there's a reason for that because he is the one who set himself up as Christ on the earth. He's called the Vicar of Christ. So they identified what John is saying here as this spirit of Antichrist in this specific person. They were able to say this man is Antichrist. He is setting himself in the place of Christ and he is taking away from the message of Christ. And we can see this at times in specific people. Even today, you still have a figure known as the Pope who sets himself up as Christ on earth. He's speaking in the place of Christ. But this is also true of anyone who goes against the message that we have been given. Any person who goes against the message of Christ is antichrist. They are anti the message that we have been given. This is true everywhere. It's true all across the earth that wherever Christ is truly and clearly being proclaimed, Satan will most actively be present in opposition. You find somewhere where Christ is clearly and truly being proclaimed and you will always find Satan at work. Always. This is because Satan knows from experience yes. that sowing heresy and schism is far more effective than trying to stop the proclamation altogether. Right. If you remember, he tried that. He tried to stop it altogether, and he has found out that it is more effective to sow heresy and schism into the doctrines of the gospel than to try and stop the proclamation together. If he can just sow deception into the truth it will be more effective. As a matter of fact, even Jesus himself said that these things would happen. Mm -hmm. In the book of Matthew, we read this. He says, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show you great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. John writes here, in this section of scripture, that this deception does not happen. But that's what these antichrists were coming in to do. They were working to change the message, to deceive about the message, and ultimately to disable the message because of what they were saying about what these believers had been taught from the beginning, John tells us. And we've seen some of this as we've walked through the text. They were saying things like, God doesn't love you. 
You don't really know him. Christ has not really paid for your sins. He hasn't really satisfied the wrath of God. You can overcome your own sinful nature by yourself. You must do these certain things. You must know these certain things in order to obtain the love of God or to actually know God. And again, this message isn't unsimilar from what we even hear in different places today. What they were saying here, in some senses, we hear in our day. Things like Christ hasn't really paid for your sins unless you do this. God's wrath isn't really satisfied, so you have to make sure that you are living in a satisfactory manner. The message in this way is, could be considered a Christless Christianity. A Christianity that is void of Christ. A Christianity that is human-centered rather than a Christianity that is Christ-centered. As a matter of fact, we can't even call it Christianity if Christ is not the center of it. If we come together this morning and hear something other than the word of Christ, then you have not heard a Christian message. You're not in a Christian church. Michael Horton said that in our day, we can see deception the most clear... And what we hear in most churches. He said that you see this in different ways, but it always has the same mantra. It always has the same creed. And that creed is do more and try harder. He then says in some places you will see this played out in a legalistic sense to where you're being told do more and try harder so that you can obtain the acceptance of God. In other places, you see it played out Specifically on days like Memorial Day and Mother's Day, where we bring everything that is not Christ into the church and we promote everything that is not Christ in the place of Christ, telling people to do more and try harder. Right. Right. And if you don't believe that statement, that is the, that is the product. The, what is the product of that is the culture war that you see around you. Uh, yep. a, a political culture war that has been fueled by a deceptive message even on the other end we can see this in liberalism where this do more and try harder is a proclamation of action or affirming rather than a proclamation of christ and this is basically what john is getting at to this group of people and what we need to understand by implication of this text That the message of the Antichrist, the message of Antichrist that can be seen in their day and can be seen in our day is anything that is not a clear proclamation of the person and work of Christ. If you want to know what Antichrist is, it is anything that is not the clear proclamation of the person and the work of Christ. And this is what John is writing that they guard themselves against. And it's what we must make sure that we guard ourselves against. Anything that is deceptive, anything that is attempting to change the message of the person and the work of Christ, we must guard ourselves against those things. John says here that we can not only know that we're in the last times and we can know that we can 
or tells us that we can guard ourselves from this deception, number one, by knowing what time it is, understanding the time that we live. But number two, we can do this by identifying the ones who are deceiving. And we see this in verse 18 and then again in verse 22 and 23. I'm sorry, verse 19. Verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Verse 22, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denieth the Father and the Son. Whoso denieth the Son, same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So what things did John give so that they could identify these deceivers. And even when we look at the text, how can we identify the deceivers in this text? In verse 19, he tells them. They were the secessionists. That, that is, we've spoke about that as we've gone through the book. But they were literally former members of the assembly John had written to. And they had deserted the assembly. He says they went out from among us. They were part of us at one point. He says they were not really of us, though. They were part of the group, but they weren't really of us. And they proved that because they went out and they did not continue in the doctrines that we had heard. They were a part of the assembly there. And it wasn't that they were just a part and they left. And John said, hey, they left. So they couldn't really have been of us because they're gone now. But what we see here is even more deceptive. Because not only had they left, but they were coming back. They were coming back in, but they were coming back in with a different message. That's the reason that they were. this, this, this could have been so deceptive for them. It is, it is completely plausible that there were people that they knew personally who were coming back in teaching them something different. People that they got along with, people that they liked, people that they could identify, but their message had changed. And that is what John's saying. It wasn't just that they left the assembling together that identified these antichrists, but that they were bringing back something different. And that's right there in the text. Verse 19 they would no doubt have continued with us. They would have stayed in the same doctrine that you had been given if they had been part of it to begin with. If they had been truly Christians to begin with, they wouldn't be bringing an anti-Christian message back into the assembling. So they had deserted the church. We can identify them in that way. But they were also disobeying the commandment of God. This is the text that we saw earlier where we understood that the commandment that had been given in chapter number three was a commandment to believe. They were literally coming back in saying something different, but they were disobeying the commandment of God. And that's the reason that John has given us these identifiers as we have walked through the text because these people who were coming back in were disobeying God, they were no longer believing. And in this way, what they were bringing in really had no value to those that they were bringing it back to. 
As a matter of fact, they were not showing true love to their brethren, even if they claimed to be, because they were bringing a message that is contrary to the gospel. And John will cover this over in chapter number 4. It talks about the love of God and what love actually looks like, because God is love, and we can't take love and change it into something that fits our own ideas. They were bringing something that was different than what they had heard, and Honestly, these people that were coming back in, their primary concern was not for their, their brethren, their air quote brethren. Their primary concern was for themselves and their own self-righteousness. They had to promote their knowledge. They had to promote the new things that they had come up with. They had to promote the better understanding that they had of God. John doesn't just say that they were former members of the assembly. But he very explicitly calls them some, some things in chapter or in verse number 22. Verse number 22, it says, who is a liar? And then he tells them. The liar is the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one that God sent, that Jesus is the satisfaction for their sins. That is a liar. He didn't just say nice things about these people who were coming back in. He was explicit. He said they were liars. And if we're going to identify these deceivers, just like they would have been able to identify these deceivers, they identified them because of their lies. They were teaching something other than the gospel. They were coming back in to people who had been given the gospel and they were taking the gospel from them and giving them something else. And in this, we can kind of see the working behind them. Because behind of, behind of their deceiving is the work of the devil. It's the work of the evil one. It's the work of Satan. What does God say about Satan? He calls him a father. He calls him a father of lies. And these deceivers who are coming back in were no different than their father. They were liars. They were saying something different than what God had said. Paul even references this in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. He says this earthly display of antichrist, this earthly display of antichrist theology is rooted in the work of the devil. In verse 1 of chapter number 4, 1 Timothy, Paul calls it the doctrine of devils, the doctrine of demons. He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, in these last times, the same times that John is talking about, some shall depart from the faith. This is exactly what happened. They had departed from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Paul is speaking to Timothy about the same thing that 1 John is speaking to in in this letter. They had left the faith. They had departed from the faith, and they had given heed to doctrines of devils. That's the reason that Paul calls, or John calls them antichrists. Paul even tells us in this letter what these doctrine of devils are. If you back up 
to verse 15, two verses before chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou mightst behave thyself in the church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He's saying the church is here to proclaim and to protect the truth. That's the job of the church. What is this truth that they're proclaiming and what is opposite from the doctrine of devils? In verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here's the truth. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. Paul's message is no different than John's message. Anything that is opposed to the gospel he goes on in verse number two to talk about people saying, well, don't feast on these days and don't observe these days and don't eat these things and don't get married. Those things were opposed. It wasn't just that those things specifically were what demons wanted you to do, but it was opposed to the gospel. It was opposed to the message of Christ. And the ones who were deceiving in John's day, and the ones who were deceiving in Paul's day both had this same root cause. It was the devil working in a deceptive way that messes with the message of Christ. Verse number 23, we see a little bit more about this group of people. Not only were they liars, not only were they former members of the assembly, ones who had seceded from the church, the Bible says they were also deniers. Verse 23, whoever denies the Son, the same hath not the Father. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were denying that Jesus really came in the flesh, that Jesus really was the substitution for the wrath of God. Did you even need a substitute? They were denying the message that had been given Denying that Jesus was God, denying that his death and substitution actually happened, and denying that it was even necessary. John is saying to them, even though that you knew them, and even though they're coming back into the church, and even though they seem to have some fellowship with you, there was never any true fellowship with you because there was never any true fellowship with the Father and the Son. They were never actually in fellowship with the gospel, so they were never actually in fellowship with you. They were deniers. They were denying the Son. And by doing this, they were denying the Father. John will go on to tell us in chapter number 4 and chapter number 5 that the Father has proclaimed the Son, and he has validated the work of the Son. So if you are saying that the Son has not come or that the Son is unnecessary, then you are saying something opposite than the Father has said. And that's the reason that John tells them, if you deny the Son, you right. can't have the Father. Right. Yes. <clears throat> to put it, to put it in, in, a, in, a, in a real lay term, that they're, they're a package deal. We understand that it's the, the Trinity. I'm not trying to form another doctrine here. What I'm saying is, if you deny the work of Christ, you can't have the Father. Right. If you deny the Son, you can't have the Father. Right. And that's exactly what these people were doing here. 
And one thing that we need to note from this section of Scripture is that the gospel and the church are of utmost importance because that is the Son. He that acknowledges the Son hath also the Father. He gives us even assurance in this verse. He's saying if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father, but if you have the Son, then you have the Father. Not only does he show them the time that they live in, he shows them the deceivers that had come in, but he also reminds them of what they had been given. Verse 20, 21, and 27, it says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye have all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lies of the truth. Verse 27, But the anointing which you have received from him abideth in you, and ye have no need that any man teach you, but as, same, as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is, the tr- is truth and is no lie. And even as it has, hath taught you, ye shall abide in it. So he reminds them of what they have been given. He says here that they have been given an anointing. This is actually the only occurrence of this word in the New Testament. But it is speaking of the anointed one. The anointed one, we understand, is Christ. Christ is the anointed one. He even says that when he gets up to preach. He reads from Isaiah and he says, I have been anointed. What did Jesus say that he would send after his ascension? He said that he would send another comforter. And that's what we have been given. Again, if we read the text of Scripture without the work of the Spirit, we'll never be able to understand the text itself. And we'll see some of this even tonight in 1 Corinthians. But we have been given the Holy Spirit, and John was telling them that that they had been given the Spirit. The Spirit that was in them was there to assure them of truth. It was assuring them of the gospel. It was assuring them of the message of Christ. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth. The Spirit had already taught them the truth. It had already assured them of the truth. It was there to discern the lies that they were being given. Verse 21, but because ye know it, that no lie is of the truth. Because you know the truth, you know that no lie is of the truth. Because you know what you have been given, anything that is opposed to what you have been given is not what you have been given. And the Spirit there is to help you discern these things. Verse 27 says that the Spirit remains with them. He says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lies of the truth. The Spirit had given them the truth, and he was remaining with them to teach them the truth. And again, we see this in verse 27. But as the same anointing teacheth you all things. And contextually, what it's saying here, that the Spirit is teaching them all things, is all things that they need to know about the gospel. The same thing that he had told them from the beginning, the Spirit was there teaching them the gospel. They had no need of John, and they had no need of anyone else telling them what the gospel was. And that's even the same thing that Paul says. If I or any other apostle or even an angel comes to you and teaches you something different than the gospel that I have given unto you, let them be accursed. John is telling them, you don't have to have anybody come and give you a better message of the gospel because the Spirit has already given you the message of the gospel. And he assures them again in verse number 27 because he says not only has the Spirit taught you the gospel, 
but it keeps you in the gospel. Verse 27, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in it. So John was saying that they could guard from deception by reminding themselves of what they had been given, and they had been given the Spirit of God. That was there to teach them the gospel. Lastly, he says that they could guard against this deception by remaining in the gospel that they were taught. We see this in verse number 24 and verse number 25. Verse number 24, let that therefore abide in you. That what? The message that you had heard. Which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. John is telling them, if you remain in the message that you have been taught, if you remain in the gospel, if you remain in believing the gospel, then you are remaining in the Son. There is no lack of knowledge that will be able to pull you away from the Son because you have believed in the Son. There is no confusion that can pull you away from the Son because you have believed the Son. And he even says there in verse 25 that the promise they had been given is eternal life. There was nothing that these deceivers could offer them because they had been given everything. The message that John had given them, this is what he echoes in verse 25. He says, if this remains in you, you will remain. So they needed to understand what the promise was and they needed to remain in the gospel. John is calling them here to stay with the gospel. This is the reason that it's so important that we constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. It's vital that we do that because false teaching and even ourselves will try to draw us away from that message of the gospel. It's the reason we must remind ourselves to remain in the gospel. And it's the reason that when we come together, that every sermon must have in it that gospel proclamation, that Christ for you. If we do not have this proclamation, when we come together, then we don't have anything. All we have is the proclamation of Christ. One author said that we have a hankering to wander away from this simple doctrine of the gospel. We want to find something new. We want to find something better. We want to find something that's more exciting. We have a habit to wander away. John is calling us to remain in the gospel. And one of the key ways that we remain in the gospel is that we remain in a gospel-preaching church. It's designed that way. Paul says the church is there to proclaim and protect the gospel. It is designed to remind you and to protect you. And it's only doing its job if you are hearing the gospel when you come and are assembled together. He says to remain in the gospel and then he assures them that the gospel remains in them. And ultimately, that is the best way that we can guard against deception. The best way that this group of people was able to guard against deception was to remain in the gospel. The best way that we can guard against this same deception is to remain in the gospel. John's advice to his readers 
And by implication, his advice to us is that when we are facing false teaching, we don't need to turn anywhere but the gospel. We don't need anybody to necessarily even explain to us how to discern all these things because we have been given the gospel and we have been given the spirit to discern the things that are not the gospel. Again, John tells them they don't need anybody there to teach them because they have been given the spirit. And that is what the spirit is there to do. It is to proclaim and to convince you of the gospel. The gospel that these people had been given, this Gnostic gospel, was a gospel that was teaching them to look outside of themselves for their salvation, to look outside of themselves for the knowledge, or to look inside of themselves for their salvation, to look inside of themselves for the knowledge of God. But the gospel teaches us to look outside of ourselves to Christ. What we have to be on guard against is the same thing that they had to be on guard against. The Antichrist in John's day were denying the person of Christ and they were trying to deceive others into doing the same. And what we typically see in our day, this deception is people trying to deny the work of Christ, to deny things concerning the work of Christ, to get us to look inside of ourselves rather than to looking outside on the work of Christ. One author said that we can identify things that are calling us away from the work of Christ by looking in the Bible for relevant things that can help us fix our lives, by looking at God as a resource rather than someone to be known and worship and trusted, looking at Christ as a coach to help us gain victory rather than looking at him as a savior who has already achieved victory on our behalf looking at salvation as being something that gives us a better life here or a way to be more spiritual here rather than seeing it as being saved from God's judgment by God himself. Looking at the Holy Spirit as some kind of electrical outlet that can help us have the power that we need in life rather than looking at him for what the scripture says that he does. And what we need to hear from the beginning is the same thing that they heard from the beginning that our real sins have been really forgiven by a God who has really come and really sacrificed himself for those sins and really lived a life of righteousness that has been given to us for real. We need to remain in this message that we are guilty, but we have been justified. And without the person of Christ, if, if the person, the work of Christ is taken from us, there's no Christianity left. Christ said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And if our Christ is not proclaiming those things, then our Christ is not Christ. John tells us that we've been guilty of our sins, that if we come confessing our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that Christ is the one who has done the work on our behalf. This is the message that the apostles taught. This is what the word teaches. This is what the spirit affirms. And this is where we must abide. This is what we must confess. And John tells us this is true because that is where eternal life is found. It is found in the person and in the work. Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus.